Hello and welcome to Public Health for the People with Dr. Amber. My name is Dr. Amber Schmidtke, and today we're going to be going through sort of what is the latest on the coronavirus pandemic and some of the good news and bad news. And then also we are going to continue our conversation about the vaccine, how it's going to work and kind of how our immune system works. It's going to be a little bit of a lesson, uh, an educational pod as compared to just analysis. So I'm excited. So today is the 15th of December when I'm recording this, and I will let you know in Kansas, it has gotten very, very cold. The high is 32 degrees today, and this Georgia girl is not here for it. Um, but what I will say is, you know, it's interesting to watch the pandemic from this venue after having lived through the summer surge in Georgia. Um, you know, for Kansas, you know, we were all very, very worried about what was going to happen after Thanksgiving. We knew that people were going to gather despite um, the advice of public health professionals. And we were worried that, you know, the state had already sort of met its hospital capacity. And what happens when you have a big spreading event like Thanksgiving add to that. Um, and so, so far, actually, things are looking okay in Kansas. We're seeing cases and hospital admissions decline, um, which is good news. And so we haven't seen the surge that, for example, we've begun to see in Georgia. But nationwide, it looks like things are starting to ease slightly in the Midwest. That's not to say that they're out of the woods. Things are still very, very intense in the Midwest, and it's very important to continue to be vigilant. But it does look like there are some good signs on the horizon. So hopefully that will continue. When it comes to Georgia, um, my my original <laughs> or the state that I really started this podcast from, things continue to get a little bit more intense. Uh, you know, the the surge that we warned about uh, after the Thanksgiving holiday is here. We are seeing what looks like exponential growth in cases. We are also seeing that our hospital patient census, the people who are in hospital at the moment, is continuing to increase, and we're really only eleven percent below where we were at the height of the summer surge when, you know, patients were having to hang out on gurneys and hallways, when there just really wasn't a bed for them, and our healthcare workers were strained. So none of that is, it's a little worrisome to see those numbers and to see that things are still climbing and there's no real sign of it stopping. So again, you know, I know that we're all very tired. We all desperately want for this pandemic to be over, but it's not over. And we need to continue to buckle down and to, you know, remain socially distant, to wear those masks, and to really interrupt transmission any way that we can. Yesterday was a historic day in the United States for polar opposite reasons when it comes to the pandemic. The good news was that the Pfizer vaccine has just started to be used in the U.S. Uh, we had the first inoculations going out to our healthcare workers yesterday. And I have to say that it was, you know, normally for me, the most exciting day on social media is the is Halloween. I love seeing kids in their costumes, seeing my kid, the, the kids of my friends grow up and seeing what they're into and the glee and the excitement that they have. But honestly, yesterday was the most exciting day on my social media feed, seeing all of my friends, colleagues, people that I admire lining up to get their vaccines, seeing them doing it and knowing what this means. It means the beginning of the end of this pandemic. And that is such 
welcome news right now. Now, I say it's the beginning of the end of the pandemic because the end is not going to be a quick fix. It is going to be a months long process uh, for us to get to that magic number of 70% of our population immunized against this virus. So we, we still have a long way to go, but it is fantastic to see that the vaccine is here. The vaccine is getting to people who need it. And we're going to hope that that continues to be the case. Moderna's vaccine is scheduled to be, uh, or it's estimated to be approved by the FDA for their emergency use authorization later this week. And so that will help also to bolster our supplies of the vaccine so that we have enough to get this first wave of people vaccinated, hopefully. So just understand that, you know, I know we all want to get vaccinated, or many of us do. Beware of scams during this time. You know, you don't want somebody calling you and saying, well, we can get you to the front of the line if uh, you give us, you know, X number of dollars. Please don't believe any of that. That is unfortunately a scam. And there's going to be people that try to take advantage of us in these desperate times. Always be sure to follow trusted resources of information, whether those are government sites, your local physician will know some things about how this is going. But there's really not probably going to be very many opportunities to cut in line. So just as much as we all desperately want that, please just be very careful with that. What I will say, though, the bad news about yesterday, you know, I said the good news was that we had the vaccine rollout. The bad news was that we've crossed 300,000 fatalities in the United States from COVID. And that's probably an underestimate. So it may be even worse. But even still, seeing 300,000 of your countrymen dead from this is is just breathtaking. I just wanted to take a moment to offer my most sincere condolences to everybody who listens to this pod who has lost someone precious to them this year, whether due to COVID or not. Because even if COVID wasn't what ultimately took the life of the person you care about, it, it made it so difficult to grieve. You know, we, we are supposed to remain socially distant. We're not able to be with the people we care about who can help us through these, you know, periods of just sorrow. And we can't do that right now. So I'm sorry for everybody that's had to go through that. I'm sorry for the pain and anguish that you must feel. I'm sorry for the healthcare workers who have had to hold the hands of the dying and stand in for family members who cannot be there because of contact precautions and to really channel that love and strength in those final moments for so many people. It, it has been an unfair and weighty burden that you've had to carry. And again, I'm sorry that that has fallen onto your shoulders, but I am so grateful for your courage in in spite of everything. So I know we talked about the vaccine earlier in this episode. I want to continue our conversation about, you know, sort of teaching us how the vaccine is going to work. And we've started from sort of a 20,000 foot view and we've been drilling down each week, talking about how the decisions are being made, how the approval process works. And this week we're going to talk about antibodies, which are the thing that you want a vaccine to to generate for you. And the next time we'll talk about how these vaccines are so different compared to vaccines that we've seen used in the past for other diseases. So the human immune system is amazing and incredibly complex. It's in fact, one of the most intricate things that I've ever had to learn. Effectively, you have your own personal army inside of your body that relies on teams of specialized cells and communication networks between them. Just as tanks do something very different than helicopters, your immune system has a lot of weapons to bring to the fight. Every cell in your body has a name tag and cells in your immune system are constantly checking to make sure that only cells with the right name tag are there and it it removes anything with the wrong name tag. So it can recognize things that, that don't belong. It can also learn about invaders it has seen before and prepare to recognize and defeat those invaders the next time they see them. 
When a virus like COVID-19 comes into your body, it has an envelope surrounding it with spikes coming out of it. And that's kind of like sort of just a border to the viral particle. These spike proteins, though, they serve as keys that are searching for a lock. And the locks are found on the cells of your respiratory tract. In immunology, we call these locks receptors. These locks have an important purpose in the body, and they aren't necessarily designed for viruses to use them to enter. But the viruses have evolved to take advantage of the locks that are available, even if they're intended for other things. Now, one of the tools of the immune system that involves both weaponry as well as memory is the production of antibodies. Antibodies, you've no doubt heard a lot about, um, but what they are are Y-shaped proteins that your immune system generates in response to infection. There are two, at the tips of the Y at the top, there are two invader binding sites. And in the context of viruses, these antibodies are what you want in order to protect you. But just like we need to have the right key for the right lock, you also need to have the right antibody for the virus. Now, since none of us had seen COVID-19 before, when this pandemic began, nobody was producing the right antibodies. Now, when the right antibody is present, it can cover up the keys that are on the outside of the virus particle, getting in the way so that the key cannot enter the lock. If the key can't enter the lock, then the virus really never gets inside your cell and you never get sick. And antibodies can be made in response to either natural infection or immunization. So hopefully you start to see why they matter. Now, so far, at least you know, 16 million Americans have had the chance to make antibodies through natural infection, potentially. And we know that that's probably a low end estimate. But even still, we're talking about maybe like 5% of the US population. We know that about 40% of people who are infected will never have symptoms, they remain asymptomatic, and they may never seek a test. So it's possible that that percentage is is quite a bit more. But I don't think that we're anywhere close to the 70% that we're going to need to get for herd immunity. The folks who have been infected already have presumably generated antibodies the old-fashioned way. However, we don't have data yet on how long that immunity lasts. In any case, that potential immunity that has already been achieved was not without cost. More than 300,000 Americans were not lucky enough to survive infection, and countless others may have antibodies, but at the cost of things like cognitive dysfunction, permanent lung damage, strokes, etc. And this is really the advantage that a vaccine offers. It's really the opportunity to gain immunity without suffering the devastating effects of infection. So we'll talk about, like I said, we'll talk about how the vaccine works next time. Uh, But when we expect that it's going to take about 70% or more of our population to be immune in order to achieve herd immunity, then the vaccine is the way that we accomplish that without hundreds of thousands of additional deaths. It is the path back to life that feels far more normal than what we're living through now. Now, on average, it takes about seven to 10 days for a person to start producing antibodies against an infection. And you reach maximum production about three weeks after exposure. And this is called your primary response. The next time you see an invader, you're going to have what's called the secondary response. And during that time, your antibody response is both faster and bigger in order to protect you. And this bigger and faster thing happens with every subsequent exposure. And that's why booster shots work. Every time we boost you, we're driving that immune response faster and bigger. We don't yet know how long natural immunity through infection, for example, lasts, or how long that immunity 
provided by the vaccine will last. It's possible that we may need something like a booster in the future. Hopefully not, but um, let's be prepared just in case. So it's really important to remember that vaccines can make an enormous difference on suffering and death from a disease. You know, we used to have real problems in this country with a lot of vaccine preventable deaths and, and illnesses. And one that I used to work in personally is the field of pertussis or whooping cough. The first vaccine for pertussis was called DTP, which provided protection against diphtheria, tetanus, as well as pertussis. And it was introduced in the late 1940s. Now, prior to vaccination, the disease caused more than 250,000 cases in one year around the year 1935. But when DTP was introduced, it took about 20 years, but cases gradually declined to virtually nothing. And it's just a reminder to us that, you know, vaccines can be incredibly powerful in terms of reducing the burden of disease, but we also aren't going to solve this COVID-19 problem overnight with a vaccine. But we can eventually get to a much better place with much more of us making it to a time COVID-19 is no longer something that impacts our day-to-day -day lives. Now, there's a lot more to immunology than just antibodies, of course. Like I said, it's incredibly complex. And even the producing, even producing those antibodies requires the coordination of lots of different cells and processes. I'm maybe oversimplifying things today. So if you're a person that works in the field, understand I'm trying to reach a broad audience here. Um, but antibodies really are sort of the superheroes of your body's fight against COVID-19. It's the thing, the buzzword that you're going to hear a lot about as the vaccines roll out. And you've probably heard about already as you've heard about serology tests or antibody tests. So I just wanted to explain a bit more about how those work. Next time, like I said, we'll talk about what is so unique and special about the RNA vaccines that we are using in the fight against COVID-19 and why they are such an exciting thing for that will have broad implications beyond just COVID-19, but for things like HIV, a universal flu vaccine, et cetera, et cetera. So that's it for this week. Um, if you would like to keep in touch, I'm available to you on all the social media channels. I'm also, uh, you can follow the newsletter at amberschmidtkeyphd.substack.com or my Kansas newsletter is kansascovid19updates.substack.com. So that's it for this week. Be safe and be well.